You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan-sided network. Today's episode of Locked On Wolves is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. Happy Monday, everybody, or happy late Sunday when I'm recording this breaking news. The Minnesota Timberwolves have fired Ryan Saunders. They've already named a replacement. There's no interim tag. There's nobody on the staff moving into the role. It's not David Vanterpool. It is instead Chris Finch, the, I guess now former assistant coach of the Toronto Raptors. Today's show, I, I had I had actually just finished watching the majority of the Timberwolves-Knicks game from Sunday night a second time to break down what the Wolves did offensively, why Malik Beasley only got six shots on the night, what went wrong offensively for the Wolves. And I'm still going to get to that because, frankly, if I had to watch that game twice, um, we're going to talk about it. But first, we're going to obviously start with the huge news, which is the Saunders firing, the Finch hiring, the positives about hiring Chris Finch, um, really, this is a rapid reaction. Just found this out, I don't know, roughly an hour ago or so, um, and have been trying to break down some some of the stuff Finch did at his previous stops in the NBA. So I want to go through some of that, the process first, what Finch brings to the table. And then lastly today, I do want to touch on what happened in Wolves-Knicks on Sunday. So that'll be today's show. Uh, before we get to everything, though, a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere that you get podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Stitcher. You can also follow on Twitter at Locked on TWO. Wolves. That's locked on T Wolves. Don't forget the T. And then my Twitter account is at B Beacon. That's B Beacon, two B's, two E's, C K E N. Okay, so the Timberwolves fired Ryan Saunders shortly after losing to the Knicks. The Wolves are now 7 and 24 in their first 31 games of the season. And Ryan Saunders, uh, you know, he's been the head coach for parts of three seasons. He took over as the interim two years ago. He was the coach for all of last season, which of course was truncated due to COVID-19. And then also the first now a little over 40% of this season. Um, so, you know, not a good, he had like a roughly a 33, 10 winning percentage, something like that. Um, and ironically lost to Tom Thibodeau, the, the coach he replaced on, uh, on Sunday. And that was his final game. There's plenty about this to dig into. I think number one, and I said as much on Twitter right after the news broke, which I should say was broken first by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN that Saunders was fired, but the Wolves had not named a successor. They still haven't. The Wolves did confirm in a statement that they had dismissed Ryan Saunders. And then shortly after the Woj report, Sham Sharani of The Athletic reported that the Timberwolves would be hiring Chris Finch, who's currently an assistant with the Raptors. So let's touch on the Saunders, the timing first, and then get into Finch. So first of all, it's not surprising Ryan Saunders was fired. I've talked about on the show um, that Ryan Saunders... I mean, obviously, you don't need me to tell you. Ryan Saunders' job was going to be in jeopardy because of the way the Wolves had played this year. Seven and twenty-four isn't going to cut it. Carl Anthony Towns has missed, you know, over two-thirds of the games. I get that. It just wasn't going to cut it. I did say on this show a couple of times. I've, I've said it. I don't know several times this year. I did not think Saunders would be fired mid-season. I just didn't think it was going to happen. I thought they'd give him a shot. You know, Rosas hired him allegedly for a reason two years ago. And figured he would get the chance to coach a healthy Carl Anthony Towns, to coach Towns and D'Angelo Russell together, which I don't think I can say this enough. The two of them have played together five times. They've played in five games together over the past year plus. I mean, we're like 54 weeks into this thing since Russell was was acquired via trade last February. They've played five games together over last season and this season. I assumed that Ryan Saunders would get every opportunity to coach those two the tail end of this year. 
Um, no idea what D'Angelo Russell's injury. I mean, that if D'Angelo Rus- Russell's recent injury plays into this at all, if the Wolves said, "Hey, we're gonna we're just kicking this can four to six weeks down the road," if Russell's not able to come back, and if the thought was, "Let's give Saunders a chance to let Russell and Towns play together," and if it doesn't work, then we fire him. Why wait six weeks if you're not going to be able to see it? The plan was probably to fire Saunders anyways. I'm, I'm supposing this now. Um, maybe that's what happened. Um, so the timing is really surprising. Obviously, also one game into a four game road trip is weird that they didn't dismiss him, you know, after the game Friday, which they lost in, in disappointing fashion, you know, per usual, they could have fired him Saturday before leaving for the road trip. Instead, they fire him in between games in New York and Milwaukee, the, you know, the first leg of a four city road trip. So the timing is very weird. Also, the in-season aspect of it. I, I haven't found anybody, and, and I haven't had the time to do the full research on this, but I don't think there's any recent example of a team hiring another team's assistant coach to be their head coach mid-season, especially with no interim in between. And I guess maybe this, the Wolves haven't announced Finch as the coach, but it sounds like the news is going to be official Monday. The Wolves have a game Tuesday night in Milwaukee on the road. Is Finch going to show up and coach the game 24 hours after being named the head coach? I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, um, it, I don't know. Fascinating, I guess is one word to describe it. Um, but that's also weird. I, I don't, I really don't know how to, I mean, obviously Finch was, was on the short list of every team, basically every team that had a vacancy this offseason interviewed him, including Indiana, including New Orleans, where he had been previously as an associate head coach. Um, and the Wolves interviewed him two years ago. He was one of, I believe, three finalists. I believe it was David Vanterpool, Ryan Saunders, and Chris Finch were the three finalists for the Wolves job two years ago, not even two years ago. Uh, this was uh, this was summer of 19 or spring of 19, Obviously, the Wolves went with Saunders. They made Rosas the, or the, excuse me, uh, Vanterpool the associate head coach and defensive coordinator and did not hire Chris Finch. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, and I'll be curious to see if any of this comes out at any point um, soon or in the not too distant future. Uh, and I have no idea, but could it be that Chris Finch was Gerson Rosas's preferred hire two years ago and Glenn Taylor? was obviously involved, had just hired Rosas. Ryan Saunders was the interim head coach that Taylor had installed after firing Tom Thibodeau only months earlier. So Saunders always had the inside track on the position. It surprised me at the time that Rosas went with Vanter, went with um, Saunders, excuse me, and that Vanterpool came on as associate head coach. It kind of implied that he was the coach in waiting, but then dig a little bit further into the Rosas history. You don't need to dig far, Gerson Rosas was the general manager of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers of the then D-League when Chris Finch was the head coach, won D-League coach of the year. The Rio Grande Valley Vipers won the D-League championship. This is in uh, 2009. They went 34 and 16, won the D-League championship. Rosas is the general manager of that team. Finch is the head coach, wins coach of the year. So, this you could argue that this was always going to happen, and we don't know this, but maybe this was Rosas's ideal move two years ago, and Saunders said no. You know, if if it's close, go with my guy, go with Saunders. And and this is me being a little cynical, but it, it, you don't have to think too hard to think that maybe Rosas wanted to have some of this, you know, some of this firewall set up in front of him, some of these dominoes that could fall um, before before getting to Rosas himself. Now, of course, he's made that move, right? Saunders is gone now. So if this team doesn't improve, and we'll talk about this here in a second, if this team doesn't improve over the next, 
I don't know, the, well, the rest of this year, but certainly next year, the Rosas is the one with the target on his back. The Timberwolves are still for sale. There could be a new owner coming in at any point. There's no indication it's soon, but the, the team is clearly still for sale. And then the targets on Rosas is back. He can't blame it on the coach. He now has to blame it on the second coach he's hired. I mean, he hired Saunders. So this is now his second coach. And if this roster isn't the right roster, if he's not making the right coaching hires, then it becomes Rosas's burden entirely. There's no more scapegoating here. And I'm not saying that that's exactly what Rosas is doing. I'm not arguing for not firing, firing Ryan Saunders. Um, but I think that's interesting. I think it's notable. Um, again, the Wolves hired, or excuse me, the Wolves interviewed Finch a couple of years ago. There's the obvious tie between Rosas and Finch and Rio Grande. Um, and, and then I guess quickly before I move into, into what Finch has done offensively for the teams he's been with, why not David Vanterpool? I think we have to talk about that. I think the most obvious answer is, well, quickly, the background on Vanterpool is if, if you're not familiar, if you're new to the show, I've talked about this quite a few times over the past year plus. Vanterpool was the defensive coordinator of the Portland teams um, uh, under Terry Stotts in Portland. He led them to basically a top, uh, there was one year where they were a top 10 defense, but they were consistently middle of the pack or better despite playing CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard together for the majority of games, an undersized defensively challenged backcourt. They were decent defensively because of the drop scheme that Vanderpool predominantly ran in the pick and roll and what he was able to do at that roster was really impressive. And he had been interviewed for head coaching jobs going back several years now. He's paid his dues. He's been around the league. Um, there were some also some Rosas ties there. So it was a little bit of a surprise when he didn't get the job, but came on as associate head coach. And it was fair. It, it was almost kind of awkward that the runner up for the position came to Minnesota for the associate head coach title. And it was like, oh, maybe Saunders will be scapegoated even earlier than he was. And Vanterpool will move into the starting, or excuse me, the the permanent head coaching job. Well, the obvious counterpoint here is, I mean, the Wolves didn't improve that much defensively. Um, I, I understand that Vanterpool is a great track record and I have no doubt that he's a fine coach and, and obviously did a lot of great things in Portland. But the Wolves came into Sunday's game against the Knicks, 23rd in defensive rating, which... I guess compared to where they were, I mean, last year they they finished twenty first in defensive rating. Uh, the year before, before Rosas, excuse me, be, yeah, before Rosas took over and before Vanterpool came on staff, they were twenty fourth. That was the year that was split between Tibbs and Saunders. Last year twenty first, this year twenty third. So they're still a bottom ten defense. Um, I, I mean, he was in charge of the defense. He's the defense, or still is, I guess. He's still the defensive coordinator. And the Wolves have been arguably the worst team in the league this year. Certainly without Cat, there's no question about it. They've been the worst team in the league. They went, they went 19 and 45 last year with Vanterpool as the associate head coach. So it's not hard to argue that there needs to be some fresh eyes and therefore going outside the associate head coach and defensive coordinator for the league's worst team makes some sense. I understand the arguments for Vanterpool. I understand my initial reaction was just, I mean, I'm sure like yours was, shocked that the Wolves went outside the organization to sign a coach, no interim, nothing. I mean, we'll see, who knows, maybe on Tuesday, Vanterpool coaches or something like that on a, you know, on a interim basis for a game or two with Finch still making his way to Milwaukee or whatever happened. Cause this is all very weird. This is uncharted territory, certainly for everybody. Um, but the plan is to just go from Saunders to Finch, who was on coaching in Toronto on their staff on Sunday night for the Raptors um, or not in Toronto, but for the Raptors on Sunday night, and coincidentally played the Wolves twice in the last eight days. Um, it's so weird on so many levels. I feel I feel for Vanterpool. I'm sure it's going to be a little uncomfortable assuming he stays on staff. I don't I don't know why he wouldn't. Um, 
and I'm sure he's going to get his shot and I'm sure he's going to be a good coach, but I understand not staying in house. I also respect the definitiveness of this move too. Um, if, if Rosas knew he was going to go in a different direction, I understand why he didn't have a lame duck Saunders for the rest of the year or, or a lame duck Saunders for four to six weeks until Russell returns. And then after a few games where Russell and Towns don't click, then you make the move at the end of the season. If it was always going to be the move, then I guess it makes sense to do it now. And if Vanterpool is not your guy, then why make him the interim and then fire him at the end of the year? At least this way, he's got a chance to work with Finch. Also, if you feel like Vanterpool is the guy defensively and your team is finally starting to get the scheme down, Carlton Towns said this after Friday night's game. He spoke to the benefit of having the same staff for a period of time now, playing in the same scheme um, on both ends of the floor. If you feel like the defense is really starting to click, then you know it makes sense to leave Vanterpool in his current role and bring in a guy. It was the offense that's broken. It's the offense that was has been bottom five all season. They came into the game against the Knicks, 28th in offensive rating which I don't care if Carl Anthony Towns only plays in 10 of your first 35 or whatever games. You can't be bottom three in defense if D'Angelo Russell's played in the majority of your games and Towns has played in a third of your games and Malik Beasley's averaging 20 points a game. What are we doing here? And if you feel like the defense is making progress, then it does make sense to hire an offensive-minded coach. And we'll get into what Finch could be able to do for the Timberwolves fairly quickly here in a moment. Um then I, I, there's another reason why Vanterpool in his current role makes sense and, and the defense hasn't wowed, but the offense has been even worse. So it, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of things to consider here, obviously a ton to unpack. And this is still just a, a quick reaction to uh, the news that just broke a matter of hours ago. Um, but that's my take on this. I, I think the timing is, I, I guess the bullet points are the timing is weird. The fact they hired a coach from another team in season is weird that there's no interim. The fact they skipped over Vanterpool, certainly defensible, defensible, but also strange and notable. Um, and then there's also a certain boldness and definitiveness and, and hey, Rosas is hitching his wagon to himself basically here and saying, this is what we're doing and this is the decision I'm making and let's take a swing. Um, so that's where we're at. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about the offense from the Knicks game specifically at the end of the show today. And, and so that I can speak a little bit to what some of the issues were with Ryan Saunders specifically, obviously hope he lands on his feet uh, by all counts. Great guy. Um, and the players loved him. And I, I mean, people talk about him being unqualified. It's hard for me to say he was unqualified. He was an assistant head coach in the league for 10 years, grew up around the game. The players obviously related to the players. The players like playing for him. He genuinely cared about them as humans. So I struggle with saying he's unqualified. Are there people that are more qualified to be NBA head coaches? Yes. Has Ryan Saunders delivered? No. And so therefore it's, it's completely justifiable to move on from him. It's just, you know, it's, it's too bad that it didn't work out, obviously. Um, and we'll see how Carl Anthony Towns feels. I mean, he just was talking positively about the organization and wanting to be in Minnesota following Sunday's game. So we'll see how he reacts to the news and, and, you know, how this team moves forward. So next though, I do want to talk about Finch and what he's done offensively in his previous stops, what this could mean for the Timberwolves offense and, and, how quickly can he implement this stuff middle of the season with hardly any practice time? Um, so I want to cover all of that next. That'll be the focus of the next segment here. Uh, before we do that, though, we got to talk about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over. 
but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with promo code LOCKED ON. That's promo code LOCKED ON at betonline.ag to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We're covering everything you need to know about the Timberwolves here at Locked On Wolves, but what about the rest of the sports world? Now, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the fantastic Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news that you need every single morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so let's talk about Chris Finch and his recent history. So he coached in Europe for a long time. He was, as I mentioned earlier, he was the head coach of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers in 2009, won the Coach of the Year Award, was promoted or I guess hired by the Houston Rockets. Obviously, Rio Grande was their D-League team at the time, now G-League team. So Finch was hired as an assistant on the Rockets. And three years into his time as an assistant, he was named the associate head coach in 2014, spent two years in that role, was then hired by the Nuggets as their associate head coach alongside Mike Malone, only spent one year with Denver and then went to New Orleans and spent three years with Alvin Gentry on the bench as their associate head coach. So he's been an associate head coach with three teams. Um, And then he was not retained when Gentry was let go by the Pelicans. And then he took the role with the Raptors that was vacated by Nate Bjorklund, who was hired away by the Pacers, a job which coincidentally or maybe not so coincidentally, Finch also interviewed for. So Finch then went to the Raptors to take um, that role next to Nick Nurse and uh, and coach there. So he's been the associate head coach in Houston, Denver, New Orleans. Most recently, it was an assistant for Nurse taking over for Bjorkland. So there's a really there's a really strong coaching tree here, obviously, um, that he's involved in. And as I mentioned earlier, he worked with Rosas in Rio Grande and obviously as well uh, also with the Houston Rockets organization. Um, a quick snapshot at the offenses that that Finch has either coordinated or led or been had a, a, a major hand in. And I'm going to give a hat tip to one of my writers at Dunkin' with Wolves, um, Bradshaw Furlong over there on Twitter, listed where his offenses ranked in their career by points per 100 possessions um, in, in Finch's career. So going back to Houston. Now, obviously, Finch doesn't get all the credit for those Houston offenses uh, back five, six, seven, eight years ago when Mike D'Antoni was there um, and obviously James Harden. But Houston's offense as well, Finch was there fourth, sixth, eighth, 11th and 13th. His one year in Denver, they were fourth. In New Orleans, they were 11th, 12th, and 14th. Remember, they had tons of injuries there and actually weren't very good the last couple of years, or they were, you know, borderline playoff team. Anthony Davis left, but they were still 11th, 12th, and 14th. So far this year, 10th in Toronto, um, as with uh, with Nick Nurse. So um, clearly, I mean, these are all top half offenses that Chris Finch has has been a part of over the past, what is that, past 10 years, nine years, um, where his offenses have been top half in the league. That's notable. It matters. I don't think we can look past that. Um, so what has his offenses done that is applicable to the Timberwolves? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. So there's actually a fantastic breakdown of this over at IndyCornrows.com, which is the SB Nation blog for the Pacers. Um, the writer there, uh, C. Cooper, was making the case for Chris Finch being the Indiana Pacers' next head coach. They ended up hiring Bjorkland, and, and obviously that's gone quite well for them. Um, but it's a great breakdown of both the New Orleans offense that Finch ran with uh, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins for a period of time until Cousins got hurt, and then also 
prior to that with Nikola Jokic in Denver during really what was Jokic's breakout season back in 2016. Um, and basically what he's done is he's been able to take extremely talented bigs and use them to help accentuate the abilities and talents and strengths of the role players around them. So going back to what he did with the Pelicans, really unique having both cousins and Anthony Davis, they ran, um, they ran two big pick and rolls where, where, you know, cousins was screening for Davis and Davis was handling the ball, stuff like that. And maybe we see some of that with Jaden McDaniels and Carl Anthony Towns as, as we, you know, longer term, I'd be surprised if we saw a lot of that now. Uh, unfortunately, the Timberwolves don't really have too many bigs outside of Carl Anthony Towns that they could do that with. Um, but the, the stuff that's more applicable is the cutting around the big man, the, the passing ability of the big man. And obviously Jokic is the best passing big man in the league, but Carl Anthony Towns is top five in terms of passing ability. Um, and especially now court vision, understanding, um, timing, spacing, when to hit cutters. He's really, really grown over the past year or two in that area of his game. And, and go back and look at what the Nuggets are still doing really with Jokic, but what they did in that 2016 season and also what the Pelicans did with DeMarcus Cousins. And they would run five out sets, which, which the Timberwolves have done a ton of this year. And Saunders wanted to do a lot. But Finch's teams, both in New Orleans and Denver, ran a lot of five out. They would put um, Jokic or Cousins or Davis in kind of a high post, kind of occasionally a mid post type position and just have guys cut around him. They would have uh, they would have guys running off twirls, you know, curling around screens and, and popping out behind the arc for threes. They would get open mid range jumpers out of this action. I mean, watch some of the clips from either from this article or, or just go watch some some nuggets or some Pelicans from the last few years. And imagine some of those players being Malik Beasley, getting wide open mid-range shots or wide open threes or corner threes. Um, and and that action is is going to be perfect for what the Wolves try and do or what the Wolves will try and do. And also perfect for the per- some of the personnel that they have. Certainly Towns, certainly Malik Beasley, to a lesser extent, guys like Jarrett Culver and Josh Akogi, who are primarily cutters and that's their value offensively. Um, and, and they haven't brought much else positive to the table. Anthony Edwards as well, if they can get him to be a, a consistent cutter. We know he's a pretty good spot up shooter in, in catch and shoot situations. And so that could benefit his him as well. If you've got a Culver or a Beasley cutting and an Edwards spotting up or, or flip that and you have you know Beasley spotting up and Edwards as your cutter. Um, they can also run dribble handoffs out of this. Um, it, you know, and the Wolves do a little bit of that already in a five out set and run a dribble handoff with Towns, get Edwards going downhill. They haven't done enough of that. I uh, talked about this the other, the other day, I think last week on Friday show um, regarding Edwards and how good he's been in dribble handoffs, um, getting handoffs and getting downhill. The Wolves can run that out of, out of what Finch has done in the past. Um, and then also a note that I wanted to pull out of this article from Indy Cornrows. Uh, it's it's in the section about cutting and about cut assists. And I'm, I'm going to read this verbatim here. It says, um, percentage during Denver's breakout season in 2016-17, the Nuggets were one of only four teams calling cuts on over 9% of their possessions. A year later, when Finch moved to New Orleans, the Pelicans jumped from 25th in cut frequency to 7th. And here's the thing, that's only counting possessions where the cut directly led to points, free throws, or a turnover. Um, so that's not counting you know anything else that could have happened on that possession. And both of those teams were top, I guess, top four in in the in the Nuggets case and top seven in New Orleans case in cuts and scoring on cuts. And the Wolves don't do enough of that. And even go back a couple of games. I think it was Friday night's game when the Wolves lost on Friday night. Ryan Saunders brought in Jake Lehman in the third quarter. 
basically because the offense was stagnant and Edwards was standing in one corner and Beasley was standing in the other corner and nobody was cutting, Towns was getting double teamed in the post and guys were just staying, staying spotted up. They weren't finding angles for Towns to pass the ball to them. Jake Lehman's a cutter. He understands that. And that's one of the few things that Jake Lehman's really good at. Um, and, you know, he's, he's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. But cutting is something that Lehman's good at. And immediately he back cuts from the corner, gets an easy dunk on a dump off from Towns, uh, you know, tough pass out of a double team from the right block, uh, you know, Lehman cutting from the left corner immediately. And that's what Finch is looking to do. I mean, that obviously is, is a really simple play and the Wolves were simply dumping the ball into Towns and everybody was standing around. That's not going to happen in a Chris Finch offense. They're going to have a cutter clearing out the paint and then they're going to have somebody popping into the corner with a wide open passing lane for Towns out of the post. Or if they're playing five out, they're going to have off ball action. They're going to have um, guys coming, curling around screens for wide open threes, um, for wide open mid-range shots, whatever it is. Um there's going to be a lot of motion in a Chris Finch offense. And then also to a lesser extent, I think because the Wolves only have the one ball handling big in towns and then maybe Jaden McDaniels, depending on, on how quickly they give him some, some leash to do this. And Nas isn't great as a ball handler. He's obviously a stretch big and and can play five out, but he's not going to handle the ball. We saw a little bit of this last year with Carl Anthony Towns before the injury, the Wolves started to put the ball in his hands more often and allow him to operate the offense, not just out of, out of the post, but also bringing the ball up the floor, playing in the pick and roll. And if he plays with any other bigs, if he's on the court with Jared Vanderbilt or Jaden McDaniels, you could have him handling the ball in the other big screening. Um, it's going to be more dynamic with McDaniels with his ability to both shoot from the outside and um, score inside with his, his athleticism and length than it would be with Vanderbilt. But Finch is likely going to give the ball to Towns and tell him to create more often as Denver did with Jokic. Towns, If Towns can be 70% of the passer that Nikola Jokic is, He's already, what, 150% of the shooter that Jokic is. He's a far, far better shooter than Jokic. And even now with Denver, but especially if you go back and watch these clips from when Finch was there in 2016, 17, teams sagged off Jokic big time because they weren't worried about his outside shot. You can't sag off of Carl Anthony Towns. He's going to shoot 41, 42% from deep and better than that for mid-range if he's standing in the mid-range. Teams can't sag off of Carl Anthony Towns. So if he can be 70% the passer of Nikola Jokic and continue to shoot the ball like he always has, the Wolves offense should be extremely dynamic with him operating in that role. Um, and you know the personnel around Jokic is clearly better than currently the personnel around Towns. And, I, and, I, and it's going to take a minute, which is the other piece of this, by the way, that we have to address. When are the Wolves going to practice? I mean, I know the first half ends here in about a week and a half, and then and then you've got a little bit of a break for the All-Star break. Um, so clearly this is happening. You know, they're basically going to run their existing playbook, I would think, now through the All-Star break, and then hopefully get a couple of practices in and start running some of Finch's stuff. Um, and some of it's not all too dissimilar from what they're running now. It's just there wasn't consistency in the Wolves offense. And we'll talk about that with the Knicks, the Knicks game specifically here to round out the show today. Um but could we see, you know, there's going to be more diversity in the sets that the Wolves are running. There's going to, they're going to consistently call more sets. I think the Wolves too often were, you know, they would call, you know, Saunders is pretty good at calling ATOs and, and, you know, his overall play calling wasn't terrible, but far too often the Wolves wouldn't actually run a set play. They would just kind of come down and, and it was stagnant and there'd be a pick and roll if D'Lo was on the court or if Towns was on the court. More recently, they were dumping the ball into him in the post far more than they did last year. But there just wasn't consistency. There wasn't, um, the second options weren't 
like the Knicks game is a perfect example. Far too often the Wolves, the first option would be Beasley. It wasn't there. And then the ball would get swung to the corner and then it would be a pump fake and a kind of a slow drive to the basket and the ball would swing around and it would end in a missed shot. And they're just, it was just a very stagnant, the read and react piece of things wasn't there. Um, and if you're putting the ball in town's hands and telling him from the perimeter to create, and you have an offense that's predicated on movement and that's continuous instead of just kind of this anchored spacing where everybody's kind of, you know, Rubio's in the slot and often he's in the slot and Beasley's in one corner, Edwards is in the other. And, and then you occasionally get a driving kick. That's not going to happen. You're going to get structured offense with continuous movement and eventually hopefully even more plus shooters on the floor around towns as Gerson Rosas continues to shape this roster. So the long story short is Chris Finch, what he's done offensively in this league, top half of the league offenses every year with every team he's been involved in in the last decade. Um, and a familiar familiarity with Gerson Rosas and the track record of having bigs be dominant as passers, as ball handlers in the offense, and also accentuating the strengths of cutters and ancillary players. Um, if I had to boil it down to about a 20 seconds uh, about Chris Finch and what he brings to the Wolves, that's it. Um, and, and all the stuff I talked about in the first segment, that doesn't go away. The timing's weird. It's going to be weird. We'll see how the players react. Gerson Rosas now has the proverbial target on his back with everything that's going on. And, and clearly there's levels of this that should have been handled better. But Chris Finch is reportedly the new head coach. And if Carl Anthony Towns is going to buy in and this team's going to keep doing what they've been doing, showing improvement on the defensive end of the floor, which they have continued to do over the past few weeks. And especially since Towns's return, then who knows, um, you know, the rest of the season, obviously you got to see some life out of this team and, and we'll, <laughs> that's kind of the next thing is how much of, however the rest of the season goes, how much blame or credit do you put on Chris Finch versus Towns getting healthy or hopefully eventually D'Angelo Russell getting healthy or Gerson Rosas making a deal at the deadline, which who knows could still happen. Um, there's so much noise and so many factors with everything the Timberwolves do. It's so hard to parse, you know, where to assign the blame and where to assign the credit. Uh, but, but I mean, there's somebody else now in the mix and that's Chris Finch. So we'll see, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes of this. I do still want to talk about the Knicks game because again, I had to watch it twice. So I feel like we have to talk about it. So we're going to talk Wolves Knicks. We're going to talk about why Malik Beasley only got six shots and hopefully that's something Chris Finch can work to fix in relatively short order as he takes over, I, I guess, in less than 48 hours is is the word on the street. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the title sponsor of today's show, and that is the fantastic Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar of all time. If you've never tried it, you need to. I promise it tastes exactly like a candy bar. I'm not kidding. I'm on my routine now, at least one Built Bar every day. Um, I've used it as a meal replacement. I've used it as a uh, as a commute snack in between work and dinner. There are 18 amazing flavors. There's six brand new flavors, including caramel brownie, which is one of my favorites. Mint brownie is one of the old flavors, also one of my favorites. Cherry barcia is a new flavor. Cookies and cream is fantastic. I really like banana bread. Um, there are plenty of delicious flavors, uh, 18 total actually, and the occasional surprise limited edition flavor. Um, every single Built Bar though is covered in 100% chocolate and they're all soft and they're easy to chew. They're perfect for the health conscious guy or gal to help you lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. Every single built Bar is low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high in fiber. Perfect if you are on the keto diet. Go to builtbar.com. You can use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at builtbar.com. 
Listen to Locked On NBA on Mondays. Josh Floyd, host of the wildly popular Locked On Fantasy Basketball, takes you around the NBA's major headlines with the help of our local experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts. Okay, so uh, Wolves-Knicks on Sunday. The Wolves obviously ended up losing by four. Uh, This was a game they were down 12 after the first quarter. They were within 11 at halftime. They actually pulled close middle of the second quarter. The Knicks closed on a pretty significant run at the end of the first half. So Minnesota's down 11 at halftime. They're down by as many as 21 early in the third quarter. Carl Anthony Towns commits three really quick fouls, gets a technical foul. So he's on the bench with four personals and a technical. And the Wolves are down 21. And it really feels like this ship has sailed. It's over. Let's look ahead to Milwaukee on Tuesday. And in typical Timberwolves fashion, they go on a a long 29-9 run over the second part of the third quarter through the fourth quarter and actually take a lead. They're actually up by one kind of midway through the fourth. There's a little bit of a back and forth. Towns is fantastic in the fourth quarter after he comes back into the game. Um, He's scoring. He hits a couple of threes. He's blocking shots. He had, I think, two of his three blocks in the fourth quarter. Pulled down big rebounds, ripped the ball away from Nerland's Noel a couple of times on the glass. Um, And the Wolves had been getting killed on the glass early in the game. It's part of the reason they got down so much so quickly. And just a man possessed. I mean, scoring in the post, hit the big go-ahead bucket as a kind of a a left shoulder turn, right right jump hook from the from the right baseline over Nerland's Noel to put the Wolves ahead um, was just really, really good down the stretch. And it was it was impressive. I mean, it was it was a all towns, really. The comeback was um, and and Minnesota looked like they were going to be in it down the stretch, which they were. And then the other piece of this that we kind of all knew the other shoe was going to drop was that the Wolves would get in, make this game close and then lose. Sure enough, they took the lead and lost. This was the um, 12th game this year that the Wolves had a fourth quarter lead and lost. They're now seven and 12 in games in which they led in the fourth quarter, which is shocking. Uh, it, it's it's just unbelievable. We talked about this the other day after uh, the post game after Friday. They were 7-11 after that game. Now they're 7-12 in games in which they lead in the fourth quarter, which another thing in the column of reasons why Ryan Saunders' job was in jeopardy was late game execution. Um, so late in the game, quickly, the Wolves ran, did some stuff good. I mean, they, they or did some stuff well, I should say. They ran um, action to get Towns. So they were down, um, or I guess they were up one, had a chance to go up by three. Uh, they ran a couple of horn sets and they got Towns passing the ball to Rubio, who was cutting. Towns was doubled for most of the game when he caught uh, on the catch. Um, Tom Thibodeau was doubling Towns. And he dumped the ball off to Rubio, who shot one of his kind of runner, his left-leaning runners uh, about 10, 12 feet away from the hoop, missed it. The Knicks came down, got fouled, hit a couple of free throws, and ultimately took a one-point lead. So the Wolves have the ball um, down one. They go to the uh, post-up left baseline, Carl Anthony Towns. Taj Gibson's in the game. Noel's fouled out. Gibson's guarding Towns one-on-one. They don't bring a double. Taj digs in, doesn't let Towns get any closer than about eight, nine feet away from the hoop. Towns gets a little behind the backboard, so it's a tough angle, but he turns, he shoots, rims in and out, misses the shot. The Wolves foul. The Knicks come down, make two free throws. The Wolves use their last time out, so they're down three, thinking they're going to go for a three. They inbound the ball to Towns. He he kind of fumbles it, chases it down in the corner, gets swarmed, doesn't have a good shot. He's in, he's in the right corner, passes it to Rubio, who drives, gets some contact, attempts a shot, knowing he's getting the foul call doesn't make the shot, goes to the free throw line and makes the first. So now they're down two. He obviously wants to make the second. There's roughly 15, 16 seconds left. So there's time to make the second, play the foul game, and you're still going to get 10, 11, 12 seconds down three. No timeouts left, but it's plenty of time to bring the ball up the court and run a quick play to get a three for Towns or for Beasley. 
Well, Rubio misses the second free throw. Um, it rims out, hangs on the rim, falls off. Rubio and Beasley are in there to try to rebound it. The Knicks get the rebound. Uh, RJ Barrett, I believe, got fouled, made both free throws, won the game. Something I noticed immediately was Carl Anthony Towns was not lined up on the on the free throw line or on the along the paint for the rebound. He was back defensively as if the Wolves were needing a free safety to try and keep the Knicks from wasting time or getting a run out for a quick dunk. But why does that matter? You need the rebound if he misses it. If he makes it, the Knicks are going to call timeout anyway. Plus Towns had five fouls. So, I mean, if, if he's going to be the one fouling, then, you know, I mean, you're, you're down three and your best player is not in the game anymore and your best three-point shooter. So, I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if it's Towns not paying attention or thinking, assuming Rubio would make it and, and Tibbs would call a timeout and then he's already back by the bench, so no big deal. Um, I, I don't know what that was. Uh, I, immediately, I I thought I, it's got to be coaching, right? I mean, even if even if Towns did that on his own, the coach, the coaching staff, somebody's got to say, hey, we need our best rebounder to be to be lined up for the rebound because if Rubio misses this, we get the rebound and and a lay in and we tie the game. I mean, and the rebound hung there for a minute. I mean, that was Towns probably would have gotten that rebound had he been in the paint. Rubio almost got it. He knew he he knew he might have missed it as soon as he let go of the ball, came in and almost got the rebound. Towns probably could have gotten that rebound. So that was really weird. Um, and that was that was really bad late game execution in that sense. Um, and, and you know, the Wolves lost by four. And, and it is what it is. So the other thing that I wanted to spend more time on on the show today, but but I'll keep this short, was how the Wolves handled Malik Beasley and, and why Malik Beasley only attempted, and this is shocking, he attempted six shots. The guy's averaging 20.7 points per game coming into the game. He plays a team high 38 minutes. Nobody else plays more than 32. He shoots the ball six times. Two of six shooting, two of four on threes, six points, four rebounds, two assists, one steal. Was a plus five for the game, but shot the ball six times in 38 minutes. So I went back and rewatched it and, and wanted to see what happened. The Wolves actually ran some action for Beasley. Now, not a lot in the first half. The first half was a lot of Towns. It was a lot of Towns post-ups. It was a lot of Beasley on the same side of the floor as Towns, sometimes being the one making the entry pass, sometimes spacing the floor a little bit. And Towns was in attack mode. He was looking to score, and rightfully so. The Knicks were swarming to Beasley. They were letting Ricky Rubio shoot, and Rubio had 15 by halftime. He was actually, I think he was four of six or five of six shooting by halftime. It was effective. It worked. And, and I mean, the Wolves were still down 11, but that's because their defense was so bad in the second quarter. Um, so in the first half, it was more the Knicks scheme. It was more the Wolves not really looking to get Beasley too involved. The Wolves, especially after Towns left with foul trouble in the third quarter, the Wolves consciously tried to get the ball to Beasley, but the Knicks were all over it. They were switching almost everything, all the off-ball action. Every time Beasley was coming around to pin down, the Knicks were switching the action. They were doubling him. A couple of times he operated as the ball handler in the pick and roll with Nas Reed setting the screen, and the Knicks iced the pick and roll. Beasley's not comfortable in those situations. He's not a great ball handler, and he's not a great ball handler in the pick and roll either. Not comfortable getting iced in the pick and roll, and so he didn't really panic. It's not like he turned the ball over a bunch, but he wasn't able to get his shot off. That's not the position you want Beasley in is getting iced. You want Beasley to be the one catching the ball when it swings around around the perimeter and he's the open guy. You want him cutting and receiving a pass from the big. Um, and that didn't happen. So credit mostly to the Knicks defense. The Wolves did a couple of creative things um, to try and get Beasley open. There was one possession after he they had just failed to get him the ball. Nas set three separate screens on the same possession in about six seconds. Um, 
he set a couple of pin downs. Beasley curled, he cut into the paint and then he curled back around, got an open three point attempt, but didn't make it. Um, and so of his six shots, I think, you know, four or five were fairly open and he was two or four outside the arc. It's just the Knicks were very concentrated on not letting him beat them. They thought they could double towns. They could try and take Beasley away as much as possible. And they knew nobody else on the team was dynamic enough to beat them. And we can talk about down the stretch, you know, is it Jordan McLaughlin over Ricky Rubio because McLaughlin's more likely to make an open shot or more likely to score in the paint? Probably. That's probably that probably would have been the answer. But there's nobody else on the Wolves roster that the Knicks were worried about. Try your best to take away Towns if you can't. Oh, well, he's going to get his. And he did. Try your best to take away Beasley. If you do that, then you're in really good shape. And that's exactly what happened. And 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 again, that was more Nick's scheme than it was Wolves' failure. But the Wolves didn't make a concentrated effort to get Beasley involved until it was almost too late. Um, and then ultimately, it was just Towns doing what Towns does. And that's how the Wolves got back into this game and had a chance to win at the end. Um, very quickly, because we always do studs and duds, uh, for this game, it's pretty easy. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns is the number one stud for the Wolves in the game. 27 points, 15 rebounds, 9 of 18 shooting three of seven on threes. He also had four assists, three blocks and a steal in this game. Foul trouble was really the only issue. And he was just dominant down the stretch. There's no other way to say it. Uh, as bad as the Wolves front court was against Nerlens Noel, Julius Randle, who was fantastic in this game, Taj Gibson, especially his, his defense and, and work on the glass. He had seven rebounds in 19 minutes. Um, the second half, the fourth quarter, especially the Wolves were just great in the front court. And that was mostly Carl Anthony Towns. Secondly, Ricky Rubio, he missed that big free throw, obviously, but he kept the Wolves in the game early. He had 18.6 assists, seven of 12 shooting, three of five on three-point attempts, but only one of three at the line. Uh, one steal, zero rebounds for Rubio. He did have only one turnover to six assists. Um, the third stud for me in this game is actually Jordan McLaughlin. Eight points, six assists, only one turnover was a plus five in 21 minutes off the bench. Three of nine shooting. He did hit two threes. So he is the third stud in this game for the Timberwolves. Duds, Malik Beasley, again, not entirely his fault, but he can't only have six shot attempts in 38 minutes. Six points, four rebounds, two assists, and a steal. He was a plus five, uh, but he's got to do more than score six points in a game. The Wolves lose by four on the road. Then Anthony Edwards, a quiet game for Ant. Three of 11 shooting, 12 points. He was three of six on threes, which means he was 0 of five inside the arc. 12 points, four assists, three rebounds, three turnovers though. Um, so a sloppy game from Edwards. A couple of his threes were just open corner threes that he knocked down, which is great. But we know he's a good catch and shoot three-point shooter. It's what he does when he has the ball in his hands and that wasn't good in this game. So um, disappointing game for Ant as well. All right, uh, that's it. I mean, that's that's a lot. We covered a lot today. Um, obviously the Saunders news and then that coming on the heels of a game. On Tuesday's show, we'll preview Wolves Bucks. We'll talk about anything that happens if there's a press conference or I don't know, what whatever happens with this weird coaching transition on Monday. We'll obviously cover on Tuesday's show. So be be uh, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Again, anywhere you get podcasts, including iTunes, you can follow on Spotify, et cetera. Um, also follow on Twitter at Locked on T Wolves and at B Beacon 2Bs 2Es CK. And we'll cover everything that happens over the next day or two. And obviously everything about, um, presumably Chris Finch's coaching debut of the Timberwolves on Tuesday night at the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll talk all about that previewing the game on Tuesday and then post game Tuesday as well. If you're, this is your first time listening. We are a daily podcast Monday through Friday, also weekend post game podcast. Be sure that you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and we will be all over all of the Timberwolves news this week. All right, that's all we have for you today. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. Um, the Today's title sponsor, of course, is Built Bar. 
You can go to BuiltBar.com, use your promo code LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. We'll be back on Tuesday. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.